0: We are continuing in our study in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, a section titled uh, something like husbands and wives, depending upon the version that you're holding. So encourage you to open up an app or Google it or open a physical Bible, uh, which we encourage you to do. Ephesians chapter 5, two verses today, 32 and 33, say this. Speaking of marriage, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. God, we pray for a word from you. God, everybody that shows up in this room, regardless of what they believe, um, I'm certain, would say, if there's a God, I want to hear from this God. And so we pray that you would communicate your living word um, through me this morning and that you'd speak specifically to us as a church. Uh, You'd speak to our families. You'd speak to our real lives. You'd speak to our marriages. God, you'd speak to us as individuals. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So. In this verse that we're in, uh, which is following uh, direct instructions about how human beings should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul then says, right after verse 21, where it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, he says, wives to your husbands. And then he says, husbands, you should love your wives as you love your own body. And then he says, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church, who gave himself up for the church. So he's speaking in very practical terminology about how husbands and wives should relate to one another. And then he says this in verse 32, the verse we start in, this mystery is profound. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So this mystery is profound, is speaking about marriage to which all married couples in here or all those of you who've ever been married or witnessed marriages say, amen. Amen. Marriage is a mystery, and figuring out is profound. There's a deceased comedian, George Burns, that said, I got married by a judge I should have asked for a jury. <laughs> but that's true in proximate relationship, right? You speak about marriage in such a way that is beautiful. and It's this thing that so many of us crave, this reality of a relationship to where we can be intimately known and where we can intimately know. A relationship where we passionately love one another. In a relationship that's faithful, that there's fidelity involved in it. We all want that, even if you're in here and you're single saying, I don't ever want to be married. The reality is there's a craving for relationships in which you would know and be known at the most intimate level, where you would be passionately loved and you could passionately love that other person and faithful just meaning they're not going to bail on you when things get hard. But that really is what marriage is spoken of. And you know, our experience is so hard; it's so challenging. Even if you're a kid and grow up in homes where you listen to your parents and the way they speak to each other, or the way they don't speak to each other, can sound even louder than when they do speak to each other, and it's awful. And it creates these like gaps in our gut and. Um, We go to counselors and therapists afterwards about our parents' marriages and the way they treated us or didn't treat us. And it makes it really interesting that uh, the two primary images that God uses of his relationship to the world and to the people that he's made and the people that he's saving are familial, meaning family language. It's as a father to their children. And yet so many of us have such gaps in our relationships with our fathers And the other one, which I would argue, you you could argue, is penultimate. The ultimate image is marriage. That at the end of the Bible, what you see is God marrying his people that he calls his bride. And yet marriages create so much tension. So Paul says this mystery is profound, and I'm speaking about Christ and the church, this Mystery is profound. The word profound means, if you look at it just in your Bible, this mystery is profound. Profound means huge. Just what profound? It's so large. It's so big, which then leads us to mystery. It's a profound mystery. This word mystery, when you look at what the meaning really is, is this meaning that we need revelation to understand it. It's got to be revealed. Another word that comes along with it is initiation. We almost have to be initiated into how big marriage really is to really understand it. Revelation can come about through the teaching of the Word of God, which we hope to do today, but initiation really can only be experienced. It can only be modeled, an opportunity where you want to get around marriages that are good because so often our experiences are so bad, but it's a profound mystery, one that we must be initiated into it. It revealed to us to understand how big it is. How many of you guys remember the Transformers? Raise your hand. So if you're younger, you'll remember the Transformers. I think there's four movies that started in 2007. I think the last one was in 2017. But they came about because there were toys developed in the 80s that I played with. Right? And I played with toys. I loved toys. I loved Star Wars figures. My mom still gardens, and she'll find these Star Wars figures that I buried deep down. Right? I'm almost 41 years old, and she still finds them. And I'll be like, then send them to me. I want those things. Right? Not because I want to play with them, but those are like worth money now, right? Um, Transformers were these, you'd get a truck as a kid, and it's like, this truck looks amazing. And then your mom's like, play with it like it's a Rubik's cube. And you'd start turning it. And all of a sudden, this truck would turn into this like, huge mechanical like monster, but a good one. And there was a cartoon that came out, and the song on the cartoon would say Transformers, and then in this very robotic voice, More Than Meets the Eye. That's what Paul's saying here. He's going, Marriage, More Than Meets the Eye. (laughs) He really is. This mystery is profound, right? You're hearing all this language. Wives, here's how you should relate to your husbands. Husbands, here's how you should love your wives. This mystery is profound. I'm speaking about Christ in the church. Now imagine you're just reading that. I'm speaking about Christ. I thought he was talking about marriage. How did he shift from husbands and wives and the way they should relate to each other, and now he says, this mystery is profound. I'm speaking about Christ in the church. Is it marriage? Or is it Christ? And the church, like oftentimes in the Bible, the way in which God speaks about things isn't either or. It isn't either marriage or Christ in the church. It's both and. Is it marriage or Christ in the church? Yes. (laughs) Is it earthly or heavenly? Yes. This is much of life, and here's why. I'm going to say it simply and then I'm gonna break it down for you. It's both and because God created and upholds everything in himself. Everything is in God. Paul said this in the book of Acts as he sits before these people who don't even believe. He says, do you not know that it's in him, in God that we live and move and have our being? So where is it that you don't have your being? Nowhere. Where is it that we don't live and move? We live and move, and it's always in him. John Calvin says this, and then right after in this quote is a man named Herman Boving. This comes out of Herman Boving's theology, and he's quoting in the red John Calvin from his Institutes. So two authors... Bovink's quoting Calvin at the beginning, and then Bovink makes the comments in white. John Calvin says this There's not an atom in the universe. How much of the world's made up of atoms? Everything? There's not an atom in the universe in which you cannot see some brilliant sparks, at least of his glory. Every atom in the universe is chock full of the glory of God. Bovink then says God is imminent in all of creation. If that's true, that God's glory is embedded in every atom, and it's true, and here's what Bobbing's saying, that God made all of the world, but he didn't just make it. It all holds together in him. Hear that phrase, in him it all holds together. Then he goes, God's imminent in all of creation. Now there's some of you going, I don't even know what imminent means, but you wouldn't acknowledge that. Let me define for you what imminent means. In, as near as near gets. In him, we live and move and have our being. God is imminent in all of creation. The pure in heart see God everywhere. Now, not everybody in here has the same biblical knowledge as other people. But for those of you that are familiar with the Bible, when you hear this phrase... The pure in heart see God, you would think about when Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, these things called the Beatitudes, which are the blessed way to live, which the word blessed means happy, that he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Bavink's picking that up, but he's going, the pure in heart don't just see God, they see God, what's he say? Everywhere. Now, many of us have bought a lie that the way in which we see God is in a corner with a cup of coffee, our Bible, and that God will take us out of our bodies to see some spiritual sight that can't be seen anywhere else. John Calvin and Herman Bovink and the Bible disagree. We don't see God in disembodied, spiritual, non-material. Here's what I mean by material. Material. The stuff you knock on and it's really there. Material stuff. Real noses, real hair, real chairs, real buildings that really get built, real businesses, real cars, real streets, real smells, real sights. I had to get my senses there for a minute. I was about to say sense right after I said noses. Real sounds, right? The material stuff. Those who are of God and understand what God's saying in the world is that he's in the midst of all the real stuff. Folks, pardon me here. There's a lot I respect about Buddhism. Christians aren't Buddhists. Christians are about the real stuff of real life. God's in the midst of it and the pure in heart see God everywhere. Everything, not some things, everything is full of God the horrific nature of sin is it takes the real stuff that's chalked full of god and twists it and distorts distorts it for lying destructive purposes when god made it to give life so now when we step back and we go hey there's something pretty common in society historically like since the very beginning and it's called marriage and he says hey this mystery is profound because of sin i have to reveal it to you it's a mystery and hidden only because sins in the world but marriage is actually speaking not just of god but god's specific love for the world marriage is actually communicating in human life form the most famous bible verse in the whole bible john 3:16 god so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. This mystery is profound. And it speaks about way more than marriage. It's speaking about Christ in the church. Now, if George Burns, this deceased comedian, said I got married by a judge, I should have had a jury, he's ultimately saying what so many of us experience, that we don't experience marriage that way. It doesn't seem that beautiful. It seems way harder than that. And that's where the Christ in the church things comes in. But if we don't get the perspective of what marriage really is, why God really designed it, we'll never get to understand how to practice it. David Platt, who was a pastor of a church in Birmingham, Alabama, took over the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptists and now... For those of you who know who he is, he's actually taking on another pastorate. Uh, he says this about marriage. When God made man and then woman, it would be a miss to not mention that. God made man and woman and brought male and female together. When God made man and then woman and then brought them together in a relationship called marriage, he wasn't simply rolling the dice. He wasn't simply drawing straws. He wasn't simply flipping a coin. Here's what he's saying. He didn't just go, I'll make this man, and I'll make this woman. Like, you know, roll the dice and hope it works. He wasn't drawing straws. He wasn't flipping a coin. He says he was painting a picture. Artists paint pictures with intentionality. That's my words now. He was painting a picture. His intent from the start was to illustrate his love for his people. For God created the marriage relationship to point, it's a pointer to a greater reality. From the moment marriage was instituted, God aimed to give the world an illustration of the gospel. Now, the gospel at its core is a covenant. We live in a society that is not covenantal if you want to think about what a covenant is, it's a commitment. It's a commitment. A covenant is there. And the covenant of love is a covenant in which you intimately know and you're intimately known. A covenant is one where you fiercely and passionately love. A covenant is one where you're faithful. But we live not in a covenant society, but in a transactional society, So now the transactional society infuses fundamentally even marriage and I get into marriage because of what it can do for me. I'm now a citizen of a country where no politician could stand up and run on the platform of ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. If somebody said that, people would be like, fools, it's all about what you do for me. And we wonder why we need a jury in marriage. We need a jury in marriage. Here's why. Because you're all about you. You're made by a God who's all about giving himself away. Who's all about love. Who's all about that we would experience enjoyment in covenant and in sacrifice. That's what love is. Enjoyment in covenant and in sacrifice. A desire to expand the circle. A God who is love You're made that way in the image of God and we live for us, for us, for us. And we go, why are we so miserable? Why are our marriages so terrible? Why is our country before our very eyes going down the tubes? Why does none of it seem to ever work out? Because in the end, we're in a transactional society. If I do something for you, I sure as heck am going to get something back. I'm not giving anything up. You give to me. He says, this mystery is profound. I'm speaking about Christ in the church. The beauty of marriage is designed by God and it's a fact to display the gospel. The challenge of it comes because sin is all about self-absorption. Sin Turns us in on ourselves where marriage is designed that we would be looking outside of ourselves and know that our joy, our blessedness is found in giving rather than in receiving. And we only receive that which we ultimately want when we give. So when Paul says this mystery is profound, it's speaking of Christ in the church. The only way wives can live into their calls their call to serve their husbands in a submissive way. And the only way the husbands fulfill the calling of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ through loving their wives as Christ loved the church is if we take on the identity and the perspective in the lens of Jesus and his love for the church. So follow me. For a minute here, as we think about Christ and the church through these two words passion and cost. Passion and sacrifice, you could say. Passion and cost, cost is sacrificial. Covenants are made when couples stand, in our context, with a pastor conducting a ceremony and vows are established, historic vows. Our vows of a covenant. For I commit to you in plenty and in want. When we have a lot and when we have nothing, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you in sickness and in health. When you're really great and look like a stud and when you look like a slug. When you can run a marathon and when you can barely breathe. When your teeth are white and your smile's amazing and when you're sitting over the porcelain throne throwing up. When you can run and when you can't walk. In plenty and in want, in sickness and in health. In the good times and in the bad times. When you're lovely and when you're unlovable. When you're respectable and when you're not respectable. I'm committed to you. I'm going nowhere. Now, listen to me in this. Every human being in this room, regardless of what you believe, longs to know and be known, longs to be passionately loved and to have somebody you can passionately love, and longs for faithfulness. We live in a world, folks, that is not covenantal. We live in a world where if you fail at something, you're gotten rid of. You fail at your job, what happens? You get fired. We live in a society where if you fail at marriage, what happens? Divorce. What's unbelievable about God is he illustrates his love for his people. Is you fail at God, the prodigal son? Give me my stuff, father. Okay, I'll give you the stuff. Then he goes out and squanders all the stuff. Fail at your job? Fire. Fail at your marriage? Divorce. Fail at God? What does the father do? Throws him a party when he comes home. <laughs> Throws him a party. Right? Like we defriend people like that on Facebook. <laughs> we tell him, never again, I don't want to talk to you ever again. Get out of my life. Right? Thank God for prodigal love, for if it wasn't there we would be in utter and complete darkness. This mystery is profound. It speaks about Christ in the church. When the people of God are faithless, God is faithful. Time and time again. And you know how he illustrates it? Even in the Old Testament, there's this moment in the book of Hosea where the people of God are called to be adulteresses. That they are the people of God because God is the groom And they're running around on him. They're serving false gods. They're living unfaithfully out of the context of their marriage. And God says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In the midst of their faithfulness, faithlessness, he says, I'll speak tenderly to you. I'll give you vineyards. I'll give you a door of hope to walk through and there you will answer me in the days of your youth it will be just like when you were in the midst of egypt and then in verse 19 he says this i love this hosea chapter 2 verse 19 and i will betroth you to me forever i will marry you forever this is why it could be argued that the pin ultimate the ultimate of ultimate Images in the Bible is God marrying a people. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. Folks, the words are passion and cost. You want to be passionately loved. You want to be pursued. You want to be able to be naked and exposed before somebody and them go, I'm still coming after you. I love you. Regardless of where you are, that pursuit, that type of passion, I'm in it for you. And you go, but I'm not always great. I'm not always lovely. I'm not always respectable. That's the cost. That in the cost is forgiveness. In the cost is long-suffering. In the cost of this is a dying to yourself for the welfare and benefit of the other person. This mystery is profound. It's speaking of Christ in the church. The only way a marriage works The only way it works is if you go, I'm gonna die to myself like Christ died for his people. I'm gonna die to my current pleasures, the current things I have to have to get in order to serve you. I have to live with you in the midst of all of your junk, the unique thing that's different than Christ, and you have to live with me in the midst of all of my junk. The only way it works is if we... Both become like Jesus, and it all communicates the gospel, and this is where it gets so good because he doesn't just end with this spiritual communion language. It's been said um, by a very famous woman who people would say is the, the, the woman that really brought psychology to the forefront, so like Dr. Phil, is a follower of Joyce Brothers Joyce Brothers said this, marriage is not just spiritual communion. It's also remembering to take out the trash. And Paul knows this because he ends and he says, this mystery is profound and I'm speaking about Christ and the church. And then look what he says. However, don't forget, it's not just out there spiritual community. Wow, that's amazing vision. He says, listen, however, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The perspective of the amazing vision, this mystery is profound and I'm speaking about Christ in the church, is for you to understand God didn't just design male and female together just for like this thing called marriage. It's like what David Platt said. He wasn't just rolling the dice. He wasn't drawing a straw. It was a design of God that you And you and you and all of us would always know we're made for love. Every sexual desire you have, whoever it is in this room, is a pointer to the fact that you were made for love. God didn't make us male and female by accident. He didn't design our bodies to feel amazing things when we were in union together just for that purpose. He didn't just do it for procreation. He did it to scream to us all the time, you're made for love and God is love, which means you're made for God. So whether you're single in this room, you're divorced or you're currently married, All of your passions to be intimately known and to intimately know for passionate love and for ultimate faithfulness in relationships is fulfilled only perfectly in God himself. And yet marriage is an expression of God's love for us and we are to live this out. And so he says, however, husbands, you have to love your wife as yourself and wives respect your husband's. There's a very famous book that came out a bit over a decade ago called Love and Respect. It's written by a man named Emerson and the last name is not easy to pronounce, but it's Egriches something like that. The book's called Love and Respect. They say that they have studied all kinds of men and women in marriage. And when they say when there's challenges in your marriage, do you feel unloved or unrespected? To high, high percentages, the women say, I feel unloved. To high, high percentages, the men say, I feel disrespected. Wow. Paul says, husbands, love your wives like you love yourself. Because, guys, we love ourselves, right? It's going to be on display for many of us this afternoon (laughs) as we sit on the couch. And we're like, whether you say it verbally or not, serve me, right? Sunday afternoons are about me. And these same guys will stand up Tuesday, and if you were in a Bible study or you're in a place, they'd say, I'd die for my family. If somebody was coming at my family, I'd stand up and I'd take a bullet for them, but they won't get off the couch for them. (laughs) Folks, it gets that practical. That's costly love at a very little level, but it is a cost. The cost of you getting off the couch to take out the trash. To help your kid with their homework. To serve somebody else's needs above your own. Wives, respect your husbands. When your husband tries to be nice, don't scoff at him. I know you're tired. I know it's hard. One of the quotes I read about marriage is said to, to guys, you want to know how your wife's going to treat you? just listen to the way they talk to their little brother. That's bad! (laughs) Husbands don't wanna be talked to like they're your little brother. They don't wanna be treated like they're your children. Wives, don't talk to your husbands that way. Respect them, which means there's times we have to sit down and have a real, civil, candid, honest conversation with each other. In order for you to respect your husband, at times you have to be honest with him. This idea of respecting doesn't just mean do whatever the heck you want. At times it means you're acting like a boy, like a little child, right? And at other times, you, you know, you're acting like a witch, not a wife, right? And that moment isn't this moment to go and fight. It's a moment to go, what does it mean to be like Jesus? This is the real stuff of real marriage that takes real forgiveness, that takes real love, that takes deep prayer. God, in order to die to love this other person, I have to depend upon the spirit of God who's outside of myself, because God, if it's up to me, there's going to be a war. But right now, Lord, I want this marriage to reflect Christ's love for his church, which means I got to die to myself. Take up my cross and follow you, which means do the stuff Jesus said and pray, God help us, God help us, God help us. One thing we can pray for as we go into this time of becoming a prayed church is pray for our marriages, pray for the future marriages, pray for the current marriages, pray for past marriages. God might even do amazing works of reconciliation. Pray that abuse gets exposed. Pray that we pray together. Pray for families that if marriages have to be initiated to display Christ's love for the church, we want kids in this church to know the gospel through the marriages. Amen? Amen. Let's pray for that. Father, we pray right now, God, where there is darkness in the midst of marriages, God, bring freedom. Let your light expose that which is hidden. God, where there is conflict right now in marriages, on the way home, Lord, Let somebody stop the cycle and confess their sin rather than pointing out the other person's sin. God, do a mighty work in our church through marriages. And for all of those who are in here who are not married, who want to be or who would never want to be, God, show them the profound nature of Christ's love for the church. And may we all know that by faith we are the bride of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.